Hello everyone, Pastor Ben here. As we gather today, I wanted to share one of the great joys of mine from this past week, as I have the privilege of sitting down with the man, the myth, the legend, Reverend Kevin Smith, to hear some wonderful words of wisdom as it pertains to today's sermon. I hope that this time truly blesses you. Well, Pastor Kevin, thanks so much for joining me here today. You bet. Uh, looking sharp, just like you say, if you can't be sharp, you got to look sharp. So. Absolutely, that's right. Um, but hey, you know what? We're in the book of Romans right now and just kind of sitting down and uh, walking through this book here together. And uh, today we're going to be in Romans 5 and uh, talking about some hard realities that we have to deal with. And, 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 and it's one of Paul's great letters. Yeah, 100%. Oh my goodness. And as I was kind of thinking about, you know, how do we... Uh, how do I illustrate this idea of like something hard that we have to deal with now that leads to good news down the road? And I was thinking about, you know, your experience four or five years ago, uh, you and Priscilla, when you heard the news for the first time, yeah. you had a tumor on your brain. Uh, take me back to that time. Uh, what was that like? What emotions did you feel? How did you hear the news? Well, I remember four years ago, I'd been dealing with some issues. Uh, I thought weight loss and I'd be fainting. And I just thought it was something in my stomach. And so finally, we had actually, we'd been on a trip in Ethiopia. And uh, I'd gone to a restaurant, got out of the taxi, and I fainted right on the street. And Priscilla said, man, you are going to get to the bottom of this when we get home. We've got to figure this thing out. And so a week later, I was home. And I went back to the doctor again after all kinds of tests we've been doing. And finally, he said, I got one more test for you. I want to do a CT scan of your brain. And I just froze. And I said to him, can you do it now? Yeah, yep, we'll get it done now. So I had the CT scan done, and then I waited in the waiting room for the results. He invited me back, and then he told me the news, that he'd found a tumor in my brain, in my cerebellum. And I can remember at that moment, I just froze. I didn't hear anything else he said, because all that was in my mind at that point was the fact that I'm going to die. <laughs> How am I going to tell Priscilla? How am I going to tell the kids? And, and finally... My hearing came back, and I could focus again on what he was trying to tell me. Then he said, I want to do one more test. I want to do an MRI. So he did that right away. That was on a Friday. That weekend, we stewed and figured out, trying to figure out what to do and how to handle everything. And by Tuesday that night, I remember I was just vomiting so much. I couldn't. That night, it was just horrible. It was getting worse. And I just said to Priscilla, let's just get in the car and drive down to Rochester and go to St. Mary's Hospital. We did that morning, we checked in, and that was the beginning of this whole process of surgery. So you hear the news, I have this, <clears throat> this tumor. This tumor. This is terminal. Is it? Yeah, that's what scared me to death. Uh, can't stay there, so you go to Rochester. When did things begin to turn around for you? Well, right away, we got to Rochester and they got surgery scheduled and everything else, and we didn't know for sure. And the doctor said, we don't know for sure what's gonna happen to that tumor until we operate. And so on Good Friday of 2018, I had my brain surgery, eight hours. And it was about the size of a golf ball that they took out. They did the test on a pathology, and it came back benign. And so once I heard that news after surgery, I was so relieved. But the other part of this that was so frustrating, I thought, well, I'd be in the hospital a few days and go home. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly realized, I can't walk anymore. Mm -hmm. I have to learn how to walk again. Yeah. And so you go through all of the rehab and everything else down at Mayo. And I had a wonderful PT um, uh, person to help me. And I was able to get walking again. And uh, that was, that was a, 
a side corollary. I had no idea that I would not be able to walk. Mm. Would you say that the surgery saved your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. It saved my life, yeah. Because mm. that tumor was going to continue to grow and expand in my brain. That was one of the most uh, uh, powerful moments because I just thought at that point, is this it, Lord? Is this the end of my life and the end of my ministry and all of that? And, and God, as that old evangelist said, God will pull you through anything as long as you can stand the pulling. Yeah. And, and so we made it through it, and uh, I'm still here today by the grace of God. If you've been uh, coming to Hope for some time, you remember... Uh, this event that happened with Pastor Kevin and his wife Priscilla. Uh, for many of us, this was very hard news to hear. Uh, for them, it completely changed everything, uh, turned their entire world upside down. And the reason I wanted to begin with this uh, today is because just like with the case with Pastor Kevin, just like with Priscilla, uh, today we're going to hear some really, really hard news. Paul's going to lie out something for us that I truly believe is the worst news that we could ever and will ever hear in our lives today. But my hope and my prayer is that just with the case in, with Pastor Kevin and Priscilla, that with every case of bad news that we could ever receive in this life, that somewhere down the line, somewhere down the road, there would be just even a little glimpse of hope, a little bit of good news that we can seek after together, a little bit of good news that we can grasp, that we can have, and that we can choose to live in and live into uh, that as we move forward together. Uh, so that's where we're going here tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is preaching. He's uh, sharing the gospel with these people in Rome, these uh, people who have all of these religious rituals that they've been doing, and he's uh, sharing the freedom that we have in Christ, and uh, he's, he's doing it from many different angles, trying to communicate it in any ways that he can. Uh, and he gets to verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 12, uh, and begins to really dive into something that I think was really helpful for them to understand, and I think it'll be helpful for us here uh, tonight as well. Uh, so Romans 5, verse 12, Paul says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. And so let's pause right there. Let's, let's go to the very beginning. We see that sin entered the world through one man. Uh, what we begin to see is that Paul's taking us all the way back to the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 1 through 3, when God created everything, the heavens and the earth. He made all things to shine the radiance of his glory. Everything that there is in all of creation is to shout the glory and the praise of God. And of course, as we know, he, he creates his favorite uh, creation, which is mankind. And he says, hey, you can have everything that I've made. Everything that I've created is for you to enjoy. And just don't touch the fruit of the tree in the corner. Good? Okay, good. And as we know, they're, they're living life, they're enjoying, and as they begin to live, they begin to look over at the tree. And for the first time, we, we see this pull, this desire for something else in this life other than God. And so they went and they ate. And as we know in that moment, all sin, all brokenness entered the world in the blink of an eye. And Paul says, not just sin that entered the world, but he says, death through sin. What is the wages of sin? Paul says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the wages of sin, what we've earned because of our sin is death. We see death. It doesn't matter if it was stealing a pack of gum when you were five years old or if you've murdered somebody. 
It doesn't matter if you have uh, told a white lie just to get out of getting in trouble or if you have committed adultery. Paul says, all sin leads to death. You see, death was never meant to be just a normal part of life. It was sin that created the avenue for death. Death was never meant to be natural. Paul says this is the most unnatural thing in all of creation. Jesus came to put an end to death. If you've ever heard that old Easter hymn, Crown Him With Many Crowns, uh, it so perfectly articulates that it says, He died eternal life to bring, and He lived that death may die. Jesus came so that there would be no more death. Death is not natural. And I think we can kind of begin to wrap our minds around this reality, okay? Death is, is not natural. It's not a normal part of life. We get that Adam sinned, and then all of his sin led to the brokenness. We can see that, and uh, his sin led to his own death. But then the next part becomes a little bit more tricky for us to swallow. Because it's not only his life that is affected, but in the second half of that verse, in verse 12, Paul says, in this way, death came to all people. Why? Because all sinned. So Adam sins, just trying to make sense of this as I'm preparing, Adam sins, and as a result, we die. I'm trying to figure this out, like, why, why is this the case? Because of Adam's one act of disobedience, there's death for all people, for all periods of time, for all of creation. Physical, spiritual, eternal death. Because not only did Adam sin, but every single one of us who are here today have in just the very nature of being born, we have inherited Adam's sin nature. Meaning that we were born into a world where we were innately drawn towards sin which is very, very bad news for us because it means we're born into a world where immediately we are subject to death. You see, this is bad news. It shows the seriousness of sin for every single one of us. One act of disobedience, death for all people, for all time. This shows God is holy. God doesn't withstand any sin. It shows the brokenness of this world. We see death. We see brokenness. I heard it said this way recently. Uh, if you have a conversation with just about anybody and ask, hey, how is the world going right now? Pretty much everybody, I hear a couple of Snickers, uh, pretty much anybody will just say, oh man, things are getting so bad. Uh, it just feels like, man, things are not the way they used to be. They're, they're so bad, which we hear that. Uh, but I was reminded by a pastor recently that, man, put things in perspective. Go all the way back to page two in the Bible. Things were terrible. Adam immediately feels drawn towards something other than God. They eat of the fruit. Everything is broken. Next chapter, Cain kills Abel out of jealousy. All of these different pieces. A couple chapters down the road, God kills out everybody in all of creation except for Noah and his family because they were the only righteous family. Everybody else was wicked. We see that it's been terrible since the beginning. Here's the reality. I'm an optimist, okay? So I'm like, I try to see the good in every situation, so I'm not trying to be like this huge downer. Uh, but I also just acknowledge, man, the world is broken. Does anybody else feel this? Like, why is your marriage hanging on by a thread? Man, sin. Why are there shootings almost weekly, sometimes daily? Sin. Why do we feel 
distant from God? Why are we not gaining fulfillment from the things of this life? Sin. Why do we feel the never-ending bondage of anxiety and depression? We feel it because of sin. Man, as a pastor even, I try to think to myself, man, I, I hope that in some ways I'm contributing something helpful and good into this world, but I also have to acknowledge at some point that, man, I've lived in such a way in my life that I've contributed to the brokenness and the sin of the world. See, it's not just those people out there. It's not just shooters. It's me. Like, the sin still exists in me. And what we, if you were here last week, we were looking at Romans 1, and we saw this reality that, uh, yes, we're all sinners, but we're all without excuse, because God has made his, his uh, name known. He's made his uh, person, his, his being known to us through all of creation. Just like you know uh, that uh, when you look at a house, you know that it didn't just create itself. You know that there must have been someone who created it. In that same way, you look at all of creation. Creation couldn't have created itself. Something can't come from nothing. We know that someone designed it. We know that, and because of that, we innately know what, somewhat at least to an extent, what honors him and what dishonors him. And that's where Paul goes in verse 13. He says, To be sure, sin was in the world long before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. You see, in other words, even before the moral law, the written law of God was given, even before the Bible was written, there was still sin. You see, when I was growing up, I knew that murder was bad. I didn't need someone to tell me murder is bad. I just know, hey, taking someone out of the earth, that's probably not a good thing. What the Bible does is that confirms for me, yes, this is sin. This is not good. So that's where he goes in verse 14. He says, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam in the very beginning to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. You see, this is the doctrine of original sin. We are born sinful and have been heading for hell ever since. But I, I hope at this point somewhere that some of you or all of you are beginning to ask the question, where do things begin to turn around? This is a lot of bad news. This is heavy. We feel the weight. You know, sitting down with Pastor Kevin, you, you hear the bad news building up, and somewhere down the line, I just had to ask, man, where did things begin to turn around? And that's where Paul just breaks in in verse 15 with the hope of the beauty of the gospel. He says, but... Notice, but is an incredible word of contrast. He says, man, you've heard all of this bad news, this never-ending well of bad news, but... And then he goes into it and he says, the gift, the gift of God is not like the trespass. In other words, in all of this hopelessness and all of the hurt and all of the pain and all of the sin, there is something or there is someone intervening. For if the man, many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came from the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. You see, yes, we are great sinners, but we've been given a greater Savior. I heard it said this way recently, that the worst sinners make the best saints. Why is that? Paul says, because of the gift that's been given to us of God's grace through Jesus Christ. You see, all of us have fallen. All of us are broken. All of us have sinned except for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's fullness of God in human flesh was born of a virgin, came to the world, lived the perfect life that you and I should have lived and died the death that we 
deserved. Jesus lived without sin, but he died as if he had sin. The life of one man brought death to many, but as Paul emphasizes, the life of one man and the death of one man brought life to many. Paul says and continues in verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. There is no comparison. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace or of the gift of righteousness reign through the life of the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification in life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many were made righteous. So yes, Adam disobeyed and many died. But Christ, Christ obeyed. And because of that, many live. We have life. We were not born that we may die. We were born that we may have life and life in him. I love how Martin Luther just extended this little bit of grace as he gave this passage. He said these words, every saint has a past. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a past. But then he turned around and he said, every sinner has a future. If you're here tonight and you do not follow Jesus, if you've never given your life, man, that's the invitation that that would be for you tonight so that you would have a future with God without the condemnation. This is only made possible because of what Christ has done on the cross I was reflecting, man, every year I, I try to make a, a habit of watching the Passion of the Christ at least once a year. It's just very much, very outward visually uh, exudes what happened to Jesus. And if you've ever seen the movie, very opening scene, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he's uh, anticipating all that's to come. And he begins to have this very spiritual battle with Satan as Satan comes in the, uh, to the picture and begins to tempt him. And he begins to say uh, these words to him. He says, no one man can bear the sin of the world. It's far too weighty. Man, saving men's souls, saving women's souls, it's too costly. In other words, how can one person forgive the sin of the world? And man, as I'm reflecting on that, I was thinking to myself, man, for a normal man, for a normal person, it couldn't. Man, I, I can't bear the sin of the world. I can't save anybody. But that's the good news. Jesus is not a normal man. Jesus is holy. Jesus is mighty. He is pure. He is humble. He is righteous. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's ever present. He's loving. He's joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. He's good. He's faithful. He's gentle. He's self-controlled. He's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is perfect. Jesus Christ is God. Have you given your life to this Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? Have you surrendered everything in your life to him? As I was contemplating and asking, what does this 
look like? I thought to ask Pastor Kevin, what does this look like for this to be lived out? Please put your eyes to the screen. So if you were to connect your experience with everything that you had to go through here in this bad news here and some good news, uh, how would you tie that into uh, death through Adam, life through Christ? What does that look like? Well, it simply means that uh, we all have expiration dates and uh, we want to live our lives uh, victoriously. We want to live our lives with that blessed assurance that Christ is the one that's going before us. Even in the midst of sin, even in the midst of uh, terrible illnesses or whatever we're facing, we can still know that uh, Christ is in the midst to make all things new until we come and stand before him face to face. Um, one of the great supports that I felt and uh, that made such a difference for me was simply the, the power of prayer that Priscilla prayed. She and I prayed, and she's such a prayer warrior. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, just, I just felt her strength around me through this whole process. And uh, she would always end her prayers in Jesus' name. And I always like to remind people, yeah, when you say that, that's like putting a stamp on an envelope. You know it's going to get delivered. And uh, the power of her prayer really helped sustain me and uh, remind me that uh, uh, the best is yet to be. And whether I live or die, I am still Christ, as the Apostle Paul would say. I'm still with Christ. Paul says the moment that you give your life to Christ, the moment that you trust in him, all of the weight of the world, all that brokenness, all of that sin, death, sin, hell, the devil, the grave, will forever be taken away completely and instantly. The tumor on your soul that is leading to eternal death will be no more. You see, we cannot fully understand what is meant by the fullness of the good news if we first do not understand the weighty condemnation that was upon us. And so as we close here today, I want to remind us of those last final words from Paul as he just breaks into this and reminds us of that beautiful truth of the invitation of Jesus Christ for every lost sinner. He just says, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. May this be the hope that we have every single day of our lives as we cling to the hope of Jesus Christ in our lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that even though we were destined for the grave, Jesus Christ broke in and he said, no more will sin and death have the final word. And so, Father, he took the sin of the world upon himself. He died a sinner's death on the cross. And now, for whosoever would believe in him, they would no longer perish, but they would have eternal life. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of that, to live victoriously, to seek the truth, Seek the beauty of the gospel to grab a hold of it and to live into it with everything that we have so that we may know with everything that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Be with us, Lord. Strengthen us. Lead us so that we could please you all the days of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.